Good morning, everybody. This is your host, Rashad Gibson of Gospel Thoughts with episode number 29. It's been about a week or so since I've made a podcast. And today, I said, you know what? Let's make a podcast. And I want to start off by um, sharing a dream I had actually this morning. Now, I'm not going to say that this dream is prophetic. It may be and it may not be. But I do believe it is. It's it means something, I believe. And Tom will tell if it's something that's prophetic or maybe it was just my mind. Um, racing or being creative. I don't know. So let me just share it with you guys. So last night or rather this morning. I was having a dream in which I was at a football game and the game was between the Dallas Cowboys and the Seattle Seahawks. And I remember I was at the game. That's what it felt like in my dream. I wasn't watching it on TV. I was actually there and I remember Seattle had the ball and the coach called a timeout. And the reason why they called a timeout was because it was fourth and inches. And the ball was actually in Seattle's territory. So, you know, it was on about the 35-yard line in their own territory. And they called a timeout because they wanted to see should they go for it or not on fourth and inches. And I can remember the coaches going back and forth on what play they should run and and should they give the ball to so-and-so. And and then um, in my dream, at least, I sensed them wanting to do a quarterback sneak with Russell Wilson. So t- the timeout ended, and Russell Wilson lined, lined them up, and he hiked the ball, and they did a quarterback sneak. And in my dream, I was happy. I'm not a Seattle Seahawks fan, but in my dream, I was happy that they got the first down. I said, good job, you know. Pumped my fist and everything in my dream. But then it was something odd that happened. When Russell Wilson, when he did the quarterback sneak, he got tackled, and he was laying on the ground, he didn't get up. And I heard someone saying, his body is gone. And in my dream, somehow, in my dream, I was able to come on the field and to poke my finger at at least his uniform, and his body was gone. It was no body there. His number, his uniform was there, but his body was gone. And then I heard someone say, your body is gone, speaking to me. And in this this strange picture I saw like the face of Russell Wilson and we it was like we were like hovering and I didn't see his body I saw his face and I remember I, I felt as though we were we had some upward movement I felt the pressure in my body going up like some like ascending up up towards the sky but then as soon as I felt myself going up, then I felt myself coming back down slowly. And then I woke up. 
when it happened, I said, man, that was, that was something. And I remember when I woke up this morning, it was about five o'clock this morning, I felt my body, it, my, my body felt, if you want to believe it or not, extremely joyous. Um, and then once my thoughts began to catch up, I said, man, I just dreamed that that seemed like the rapture or something. That's what it felt like. Let me point this out to you. In the dream, before the rapture scene happened, which I believe it felt like a rapture scene. That's what it seemed like. That was even that was not a thought in the dream at all. Before that scene happened, it wasn't a thought. I wasn't even I was not thinking about it in the dream at all. I was not thinking about it. I wasn't even I wasn't pondering from the bed last night. I wasn't I was not thinking about the rapture. I just wasn't thinking about it. In the dream I wasn't thinking about it. I was I was, I was more than saying what's gonna happen on, on this fourth down play. That's what I was thinking about. And all of a sudden this whole thing just switched to this scene of Bodies being gone and my body being gone, and then also we're moving up. That's what it. That's how it played out. And another odd thing about the dream was, although the game was 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 between the Dallas Cowboys and the Seattle Seahawks, the game was not being played in Dallas or Seattle. It was being. It felt as though it was being played in Minnesota. That's what it felt like. Um, so this morning I looked up and I said, you know, does Dallas play Seattle this year? And of course they do. They play them in September. Now, again, I repeat, I mean, let me repeat this. I'm not saying the rapture is going to happen in Seattle. I mean, a rapture is going to happen in September. It may or may not. I don't know. It could happen today for all I know. It could happen... 10 years from now, I don't know. I'm just sharing with you guys what I saw last night in my dream. And I think irregardless of the rapture happening in in September or happening in 2050 or happening today, the whole point is, if anything, we should be being prepared for the Lord's return as he has commanded us to do. We should be living our lives in outright faithfulness to Jesus Christ, to the covenant in which he has made with us. And we should not be living it out in a begrudgingly way. We should be living it out in a very, very joyous, law, lawful, abiding way. When I mean lawful, I'm talking about obeying the commandments. We should be living with great urgency and expectancy whether the Lord comes back today or 50 years from now. Because we're in the Lord. We are we are in union with the God of the universe. We, we can practically and experientially share and express what the Lord is doing in us and through us. That's a privilege, my friends. Don't ever, ever look down upon your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's an absolutely astounding reality in which he has done for us by going to the cross, rising on the third day, sending his spirit, imputing his righteousness to us. 
giving us authority over, as he told disciples, over serpents and scorpions, that is demons, having us being one with him forever. And I say all this because, yes, we're living in a very perilous time. You look around and you what you begin to see is a lot of darkness, a lot of, unfortunately, control being implemented by governments that that is really Ill, illegitimate, but it's happening. And for my for my observation, estimation is only gonna get worse. One thing that I'll say about that, that last statement, about how I do believe it's going to get worse. You see, there's, there's so much to break down within this. Number one, you can look at, you can look at the virus. The coronavirus, is it a real thing? It is a real thing. It is a real virus, but that's what it is. It's a virus. But they, we have been lied to by a lot of things about this virus. And this gets into, and this this may seem a little far off, but it's true. This gets into the aspect of witchcraft. Let me say, where are you going with this? That sounds far, that sounds way out there in left field somewhere. No, listen to what I'm saying. This comes from my background, deliverance ministry, and just being familiar with the occult. You know, one thing I learned, I learned a couple of years ago, probably about five or six years ago. The late Derek Prince once said this. He said, "Witchcraft is primarily made up of three elements. The first thing is domination, intimidation, and manipulation." What witches, what the occult attempts to do is control you. And they will use all three elements to dominate, to intimidate, and to manipulate, to control you. When it comes to witchcraft, and this is, this is something that I could speak from my experience. When it comes to witchcraft, it is not merely someone conjuring up demons. They do do that, but it's just not that solely. It's not just someone being involved in some type of blood ritual to gain power or strength, although they do that. It's not someone performing certain ritualistic acts to enact spells and curses and hexes, although they do that. Those are just elements in which they will employ to attempt to control the subject that they're attempting to control. When they conjure up demons, it's an attempt to control them. It's an attempt to get them to, to be manipulated in some, in some type of way. The same thing with spells, curses, and hexes, all these different things. But they all showcase an element of domination, intimidation, and manipulation. So what's so where's all this going, Rashad? Oh, I'm going to tell you where it's going. I want you to think about something for a moment. When it comes to the coronavirus, are we being intimidated? Are we being intimidated? Absolutely. 
You know how? Pastor, open up your church this Sunday. Invite 100 people in. Invite 80 people in. Invite 50 people in. And what are you threatened with? A citation? Prison time? Bad reputation? How about my barbershops and salons? Open up your business today. What will happen? Oh, I make it fine. I make you're being intimidated by the state to be faced with a fine or imprisonment if you open up your business. In fact, I saw this in New Jersey yesterday. Yesterday, I think it was a gym opened up their business, even with following the quote unquote CDC the CDC guidelines. They opened up their business and were put, or rather, they were arrested for opening up their business. That's intimidation. How are we how are we being dominated? I'm gonna tell you how. Number one, if we unless you're living under a rock, we can see that this is a global event. It's global. It's everywhere. And the politicians and the media have this narrative going that, you know, the coronavirus is so lethal and deadly, it's killing off all these people, and it's dominating everything that we do. It's, that is the most easiest thing to see. We are being inculcated with fear. This is not natural. Especially when you begin to understand, I'll give you an example. Here in Connecticut, 70% of the deaths that are occurring to COVID-19 or associated COVID-19 deaths are people who are living in nursing homes and assisted living facilities. 70% of the deaths. In fact, over 80% of those people are 70 years old and older. So we know, statistically speaking, that the majority of the deaths are happening in the elderly population. And that doesn't, I'm sorry, let me backtrack. That doesn't in include senior living facilities. It doesn't include um, convalescent homes, hospices, rehabilitation homes. That percentage is just ALFs and nursing homes. So one could legitimately say it's probably close to 80% of the deaths are probably in those facilities. And are elderly, elderly individuals. If we ask yourself the question, if that's the case, then why have we not taken the steps to protect our elderly to help strengthen their immune systems, et cetera, whatever we can do? And why are we projecting this, these numbers as if the majority of the population is being threatened by this coronavirus when reality is we're not? The majority of people who are relatively healthy, may catch the virus, and their immune system fights it off, and they're perfectly fine. Now, of course, there may be the, those rare cases in which someone may catch the coronavirus and end up passing, but the truth is, the same thing happens from the flu every year. 
there's rare cases of people that are relatively young, that seem to be healthy, but for some reason have a complication and end up passing from the flu. So why is it that we are inflating even the mortality count because the mortality, the mortality uh, rate is not being based off of sole deaths to COVID-19. It's, they've also tabulated associated deaths with COVID-19. In other words, if say, for instance, you go into the hospital because you had a heart attack, but you tested positive for COVID-19 and passed from the heart attack, your, your death is being now counted as a COVID-19 death. And in some cases, even if you don't have a test done for COVID-19 and the physician suspects, if you will, that you may have had it, they'll put COVID-19 on your death certificate. And then you also find out that these hospitals are getting paid extra money to have COVID-19 as the cause of death. So you begin to see that Although the virus is real, the, the surrounding details of this virus is a scam. Because the majority of the people, the general population, is relatively unaffected who catch the virus and live perfectly fine. Whereas the majority of the people who do catch the virus that are passing are elderly immunocompromised, and they're already in facilities. And even if it wasn't the coronavirus, if it was a bad flu year, we would probably have very similar results. So you begin to understand that this virus is being used in a way to intimidate, to manipulate, and to dominate the same way witches attempt to do with their own subjects or targets, if you will. These are just facts. And I can go on and on about that. And this ties into, and I may have mentioned this before, when it comes to the church. This is spiritual warfare. And the thing that I'm not surprised, but it is troubling, that what I'm observing is prominent church figures, prominent church leaders that are not, they're not seeing the connection. And to a great degree, they're living in a, in a, a fantasy to a large degree. And I've heard, <laughs> I've heard several prominent church leaders say things like, well, you know, we should just obey the commandment to love, love of your neighbor, you know, not to, you know, congregate, not to open up your church, put on your mask, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're using the command Jesus gives to love your neighbor. And I said, that's a very sloppy, exegetical application to culture, to what's going on. That is, that is horrid. That is terrible. And I can only reason and say either these prominent leaders are uninformed or they just don't understand how our government is set up. They just don't see the 
overreached by our government officials or they're just flat out cowards. And it could be a mixture of all three. I've heard one prominent leader say, you know, Christians shouldn't rebel. They shouldn't protest. They shouldn't um, stand up against the government. You know, and, you know, they're talking about constitutional rights. And he said, that's irrelevant. We are to obey our government officials. And of course, he asserts Romans 13. And I say, and this guy, he, I mean, I don't agree with him on, on some things that he says, but he's very prominent. But he's absolutely clueless when it comes to this, what he's talking about right now. And this, the scary thing is, he has a large, very large audience. We, let's think about Romans 13. Romans 13, Paul was writing to the Christian church about, in Romans 13 about submitting to, to the authorities, governing authorities. Of course. Because they're living under a literal dictatorship. The Caesar is the law. Period. So the, if the Caesar says do X, Y, and Z, guess what? The governors, all the officials are going to do that. We do not live under a dictatorship. So what is the governing authority within our context? You know what the governing authority is? I'll tell you who is not. It's not the president. It's not the congressman. It's not the senators. It's not your mayor. It is what? The Constitution. The Constitution is the governing authority. That's why you always hear the phrase, the rule of law. That is why when you're, when our public servants or officials take office, they what? They solemnly swear, swear to uphold the Constitution because the Constitution is the authority. That is their duty to uphold it. And when you begin to understand, I'll be very simplistic, when you begin to understand the framing of the Constitution and what the vision of the founding fathers were, primarily to put restraints on government and to give freedom and liberty to the people so that government will not have the ability to restrain the people, because the restraints are built into the Constitution to prevent them from doing so. And within the Constitution, the government officials, the, the, the political figures, were supposed to and are supposed to protect the people. They're supposed to protect their rights, not abuse them. That's their duty. So, when you begin to look at it from that perspective, you begin to understand that what we are supposed to be submitting to is the rule of law, which is found in our, in our governing documents, our Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights. That is why we all should become very familiar with these documents. So that you will know your liberty, you will know your rights, you will know the history, you will understand what was going on. One of the things you have to understand, and I, I'll give you a little snapshot of this. When the founding fathers framed the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and the Bill of Rights, you had to understand the context. They were 
separating themselves from the tyrannical rule of Great Britain. Great Britain was very, very oppressive. Very oppressive. In fact, I'll just give you a a small little snapshot of this when it comes to the church. In Great Britain, the the state religion, if you will, was the Church of England or the Anglican Church. And it got to the point under the UK, the Great Britain, that rule, that tyrannical rule, if you were to say be a Puritan or some other sect of Christianity, they could imprison you or put you or fine you or be like John Bunyan, like the Pilgrim's Progress, put you in jail, all because of your your expression of faith in Jesus. It wasn't going alongside the state, the states, the state religion. So when you come to the First Amendment, you begin to understand why the founding fathers, the framers of the Constitution, while they framed the First Amendment the way they did, when they said Congress shall not establish no religion, and it was that term religion was interchangeable with the term de- uh, denomination. When you look at the history of the congressional hearings or the congressional um, the congressional hearings, they discussed it for about four months between I think it was June of of uh, 1783 to I think it was um, September of uh, 1783. So they discussed it for a couple months and what they were what they were fleshing out was you know how they should articulate this particular right and freedom how government should not establish a state, a state religion. And at first they were using the term um, um, denomination. So in other words, they didn't want to put a particular, a particular denomination over the entire nation. They didn't, want, they didn't want an Anglican church or a Baptist church or a Presbyterian church or a Puritan church or anything like that. So they left it as is, that Congress should not establish religion. But that was the first clause. The second clause was that we should be we will be able to freely exercise and Congress will not prohibit our free exercise of our faith. They would not have the ability to stop how we want to freely express our faith. So the, the founding fathers clearly understood they did not want to have any type of restrictions being forced upon them by government at all. In fact, this even goes into their thinking when it came to slavery. And this is something you probably didn't know. And this is back in the 1780s. Um, I'm getting a little bit too long with this, but I'm going somewhere with this. Back in the 1780s in the state of Pennsylvania, Benjamin Franklin and some of the Quakers actually had put an act into motion in, in the state of Pennsylvania to abolish slavery. It was called an act for the gradual abolish, ab, I'm sorry, ab, abolition of slavery in 1780. How many of you knew that? 
And the reason behind it, and you can look up the original document, the reason behind it was they were under tyrannical rule under Great Britain. That is the founding fathers. They were under that type of rule. And they said, in so many words, due to the fact they were under that type of tyrannical rule under Great Britain, they felt as though it was not right for them to rule over the Africans in that way. So therefore, what they wanted to put in, put in motion was this gradual act of the abolition of slavery in the state of Pennsylvania. And that's what they did. In fact, in some states in the North, in Massachusetts, I think in 1783, it wasn't even gradual, it was instant. They instantly abolished slavery in the entire state. But even preceding that, there were cases that were being fought, I think in the 1750s, from individual slaves that were protesting against slavery, and they won in Massachusetts. So primarily in the northern states, by the, the very early 1800s, in most states, slavery, slavery was abolished. But again, we're not taught these things. We're just taught about the Southern perspective. because The Southern perspective was more brutal. Now, how did I even get off on that? I got off on that because I was just talking about the tyranny in which our nation was founded upon. And you're starting to see this, this, this ugly head of tyranny. Rear, or rather, you're starting to see the, the face of tyranny rear its ugly face again here in the year 2020. Because now these government officials are overstepping their bounds. They're overstepping their authority. They're bursting the bonds, if you will, of our Constitution that is supposed to secure our freedom and liberty. And the government officials are supposed to protect that. But when the very ones who are supposed to protect it begin to abuse their power, that's when you have significant problems. And that is why it comes back to Romans 13 when I said, no, the governing authority is not our governor or our president. It is the Constitution. So therefore, the power is really given to the people because when the people see that these individuals step out of line, we can call them on and say, hey, you're not following the rule of law, you're not following the authority, and so therefore, we don't have to abide by what you say. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier about this whole thing of, of being manipulated to say you have to wear a mask, even though Dr. Fauci even said it doesn't really protect you. He said that in a, in a 60 Minutes interview. I can, I can give you the, the clip of that. And other experts, same thing. The whole thing with social distancing, all this fear invoking. And we've been propagandized with it. And it's just wrong. You're being intimidated with this type of thing. Because now it's, oh, if, you're, if you don't have your mask on, you may feel as you, I'm going to catch the virus now if I see someone that doesn't have a mask on. You've been totally manipulated. All this is a form of witchcraft. Again, it's not just someone, some witch or warlock doing some stuff in the back room or in the woods somewhere. No. Remember, Paul talks about a work of the flesh in Galatians 6 is 
witchcraft. It's sorcery. That's a work of the flesh that also carries also demonic elements to it. You see? And that's why I'm saying to you guys, begin to wake up. Begin to wake up to what's going on. We need as a nation to wake up. Because if not, things will progressively get worse. The only way this thing will begin to turn around is if as a people we stand up and we begin to have a voice. Become educated in our history. Begin to know our rights. Begin to understand our liberty. Pastors begin to, how can I say say this bluntly? Be bold. Be courageous. Again, if you don't feel like having church because you, you feel fearful of catching the coronavirus, that's your business. That's your choice. You have the right to say, okay, I don't want to have church. But if you're one that says, I want to have church, but I'm fearful of what the state's going to do, well, that's another issue. I think that you're moving in fear. You're being intimidated. You're being bullied, essentially. And the bully has no authority. The state does not have that authority. They may have power, but they don't have any authority. They can have the power to say, okay, I'm going to send the police to your church and lock you up. It will be illegitimate. It will be unlawful. But they have the power to do that. But it comes to a point where you're going to have to say, you know what? We're going to have church. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not breaking the law. You know, if I have to go to court, which other churches have done, then you go to court and you find it out. You're going to have to take a stand. Eventually, that's going to happen. Whether it's now or whether it's a year from now or whatever. You're going to have to start making some decisions. All right, guys, I'm going to cut this off right here. There's so much more I could talk about, but I don't want to go too long. Um, if you guys are really enjoying these type of talks, uh, leave a comment in the box. You know, share with your friends, family. Share on Facebook, YouTube, although those, that's another, another topic to get into, although those, um, these tech companies are very, very, I don't know, um, Orwellian in which they censor really good material. Share it on, on those platforms if you can. Um, and just think about what I'm saying. And begin to do your own particular historical research. There's a couple of um, of sources I can, I can point you to if you want to know. And, you know, just continue to fight and continue to stand. All right, guys, I'll be talking to you guys soon. Be blessed.